Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full potential of your company by solving the problems that are impacting your growth. I want to thank our sponsors, the Collaborative Community of San Diego Business Organizations, Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local San Diego. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leader. Welcome to the show. Today, we have a very special guest on Conscious Curiosity SD. She's a local San Diego business leader who is on a mission that is having a significant impact on women's lives around the world. Sandra Peltier, welcome to Conscious Curiosity. Thank you so much for having me. Sandra is the chief executive officer, president, executive director, all kinds of titles, of a publicly traded company, EvoFem Biosciences. EvoFem is revolutionizing women's sexual and reproductive health care, having what they like to say is science with soul. I like that. Thank you. One of the other things that's really unique about Sandra is that she's also been very successful in running a very large international nonprofit. So we want to explore that a bit. And she's also involved with the upcoming cause conference, her and the company, which is on September 15th at the University of San Diego. So we're going to be talking about and promoting that today, Sandra, if that sounds good. It does. So her accomplishments are very long and amazing, but uh, why don't we let you speak to that and let's get after it. What do you say? Cool. I love that. That's great. Thank you. Well, how I'd like to kick this off, Sandra, is um, maybe you can give us a little bit of your story, your background. How did you get to where you are today? Uh, maybe share one, two, three defining moments that kind of made all the difference in your career because we want people – I always find it interesting, like – I'm sure as a little child, you didn't think, oh, I'm going to be doing this someday, right? So somehow we weave our way to wherever we got to. And I think it's an interesting story and a great way to get to know you. So take it away. Awesome. Thank you. So I actually started in the furthest point you can fly to from San Diego, California, a place called Caribou, Maine. It's the northernmost city in the United States. It's on the border of New Brunswick, Canada. And it is very, very rural, and I joke that it's where you go if you're in the witness protection program. <laughs> did you see some people there that you were kind of questioning? <laughs> I, I definitely did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, I say sometimes what you choose chooses you. And so my mother had 12 brothers and sisters. She grew up on a farm with outdoor plumbing. And she and all of her friends, I mean, they really did feel like women weren't given a fair shake. And so she decided to raise me with no domestic skills whatsoever, no cooking, no cleaning. She literally said that will never get you out of caribou. And all of her friends, it was like I was the horse they bet on. They would literally try to encourage me to get out of town the second I graduated, to never come back, and that a man was not a plan, that I needed to have my own money, I needed to stand up for women, I needed to be the voice for women like them who felt like they were invisible. And so they definitely made me quite an empowered young woman. Wow. That's, yep. that's quite the story. Oh, yeah. It was very – they used to play this card game called Scat. And I, of course, had to play with them. And the entire time, all they did is tell me stories about all the things that they thought went wrong in their life because they weren't given better choices and better options. And I have to tell you, I took that pretty seriously. And as I maneuvered my way through my life, I – really made a genuine effort to make sure that women were not just seen, that they were heard. And so um, as I maneuvered my way through life um, and through the corporate ladder, if you will, 
I really ended up spending my entire career in healthcare, but women's healthcare. Definite focus. Yeah. And so now running EvoFem Biosciences, the one thing that no one can deny is I have done almost every single job of all the people who work for me. So I was a sales rep. I carried a bag. I was a manager. I launched sales forces. I was in U.S. marketing, international marketing. I had a chance to make a lot of mistakes. Um, and, you know, fortunately, I made more good decisions than bad. But truthfully, at the end of the day, the pervasive theme that I saw is that women's health was undervalued, it was underinvested in, and that no one really cared about bringing out something new and different. It was just more Me Too products in crowded categories because it was cheaper and quicker, and no one was really taking the time to do diligence on what women really wanted and what they really needed. And that's why I'm really proud that we did something that I think is truly better and really different. And so we brought the very first product to the market that is a birth control product that has no hormones, no systemic side effects. You only use it when you have sex, just like men have had condoms for 150 years. Because the big deal is that women are supposed to take something every day of every week of every year, even if they suffer from side effects, because that's the only choice they have is hormonal birth control. So our product, Fexi, has changed that. Wow. So I'm excited. So that, that seems like poor capitalism at some level, doesn't it? I mean, like there's this huge opportunity that somehow someone just didn't go, hey, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about making some money, right? You're running a publicly traded company over here. So yep. what, what, what do you, th I mean, just oh. just old white white dudes like me here. Like, I mean, well, what, you know what? what? What was the fundamental problem? I mean, why were pissing, people missing the... Uh, the target here. Okay. Well, I want to say this. I am a um, all about equality, but not to be reverse sexist here. It's because all of those companies were run by men. And men said, you know what? They've got lots of choices. There's pills, there's patches, there are IUDs. Why do we want to take investor capital and take the money and the time? Now, by the way, clinical trials are very, very challenging and very rigorous. So we had to do phase one, phase two, phase three. We had to invest $150 million to bring this drug to market, which is no joke, right? And I will tell you this too, doing something new and different is obviously very risky, right? And I always say, look, just because something's always been done one way, it doesn't make it right, you know, women deserve sex on demand, just like men. And oh, and by the way, we also are promoting our product in a very different way because all contraceptive marketing is fear-based. You don't want to get pregnant. You don't want to get pregnant. Mm. We're saying, you know what? Isn't Can't it time? The mindset, eh? Yeah. But to your point about being capitalistic, I want to be candid with you. I love that you said that because sometimes I say to investors, like, are you awake? Are you asleep at the wheel here? Investing in women's health, women now are more empowered than ever. Are you kidding me? With Me Too and Time's Up and now Roe versus Wade, women are definitely saying, I need to be in charge of my body. Bodily autonomy is my right. And so what I'm hoping is more women investors and more men investors say, you know what? If we're really looking at undervalued market, it's women's health. And if we care about making a lot of money, I can tell you, they're going to make a lot of money investing in women's health. There's just no question. Right. just makes sense. hundred percent. Right? Yes. Yeah. It makes sense. It's kind of funny how we end up where we end up. Yeah. So I get the part about uh, the family and being a woman, but also this, let's go charge the uh, the hill, right? I mean, not, yeah. not just go out there and, you know, grab a sign and protest with some other people or whatever that might look like. I mean, you're taking a leadership role, taking some chances, going after some new products. Yeah. Where does that come from? Talk about that a little bit. How did that evolve for you? Well, I will tell you a quick side story just to step back a moment in time is that when I was back in Caribou, Maine, I was always the person who, okay, so for example, junior exhibition, everybody 
did speeches that presidents did. I did a cut from the children's hour that was two gay teachers who were ostracized in a narrow-minded small town, and one of them committed suicide, and I died on stage. No one clapped except for my mother. They all sat there with their mouths open like, what is she doing? And then at graduation from high school, I said, you guys should let me be the speaker, which, of course, I can't believe that they let me after that performance, but they did. And I did Whoopi Goldberg, The Crippled Lady, where beauty is in the eye of the beholder. My point in telling you that is that I really believe that people sometimes, particularly politicians, obviously they have to appeal to their constituents, of course, okay? But if there is nobody with a loud voice suggesting to them that they need to think about things differently, shame on us, right? To your point, holding up a sign, yeah, maybe you feel good that day, but is it really creating sustainable change? I don't know. So when I went to the Hill, I had... You can't believe how many meetings. I mean, the one good thing is they were willing to meet with me, but with both sides, right? Republicans and Democrats, Congress people, senators, everybody you can imagine. But my argument was, look, we all got here because people had sex, okay? And at the end of the day, when you really look at innovation, okay, and you look at what's happening, healthcare plans are still deciding for women, for women, they're not even doctors, for God's sake, right? These healthcare plans are denying women access to their choices, to their doctor's choices, because of financial reasons when the guidelines and the mandates say, by the way, that if you're an FDA-approved product, you should be covered at zero out-of-pocket pay, period. That's what it says. It's black and white. So I went there to try to appeal to everyone, including Secretary Becerra, that these charts that these plans are following are not updated. They haven't been updated in years, that... They're using these charts as a way to deny vulnerable women. And why would you punish a company that took the time and the energy to bring a new innovation to market and women can't even get access to it? You're demotivating people from innovating, okay? So you're making us stand still. We're going backwards in time. So politically, if you care about half your constituency, at least have the backbone to stand up for them, you know? And so... I definitely was— what, what did you see? I mean, what, do you feel like you were talking to a wall, or did people actually— or are you just talking to a politician that, you know, kind of— Okay, know, the made, truth— Made you feel good, but I know, when you left the room, say, next— Okay, you know, are you ready for this? Yeah, how, what was the outcome? Here's the outcome. And I really mean this, and I'm not just saying it because I'm sitting in your office in California. All the politicians in California not only got it, they cared about it, they stood up, and they took action. And I was so incredibly impressed. I was impressed— consistently with all the political leaders because they all, it was almost like they felt embarrassed that I was even there trying to create this argument because they knew that women should have control over their own bodies, right? So California was amazing, right? I will tell you that, you know, Scott Peters and Sarah Jacobs and Eric Swalwell, and they were really, I was thrilled. And interestingly, I played on my past, and I appealed to Susan Collins because she grew up in the same place I grew up, in Caribou, Maine. Seriously. Seriously. What, what, what are the odds? Yeah, what are the odds, right? <laughs> and she was lovely. But it took, you know, California, you know, they felt like they should meet with me. I'm a business owner here, but they did the right thing, you know? And so, but here's what I would still say. I would still say that the plans need to be shooken up. They do. These healthcare plans need to be rattled and they need to be shamed. They do because still they are finding ways to interpret the law that they think is better for them. So yeah, I wish I could get the addresses or phone numbers of their mothers, you know, so I could, you know, 
get them in big trouble. But but yes, it's but now I believe we are really on a serious groundswell to really get women the right access to health care they deserve. That's awesome. That's what we need, right? I, well, we get so that, need it. Take care of the other half of the population. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You, know, you, you speak to that. I, I was even talking to my wife this morning where uh, – with this latest legislation or whatever, or Joe Manchin, they said, oh, there's going to be this um, drug piece in here, right? We're finally going to help, you know, level out the cost of drugs for some, a handful of drugs. But the killer was, and it kicks in in like in 2026 or some crazy thing. I went, it all sounds great when you look at the headline is when you look at, you know, the, the fine details. print, you go, oh my goodness, this doesn't even mean anything, right? Yep. So yeah, I don't, that's a government. What are we going to do, right? Yep, it's true. I agree. So let's talk about the business itself a little bit, right? Okay. Here we are running a publicly traded company. Yep. I got to say, you're the first person that's been in here that's doing that. Uh, in my background, I actually was a part of a medical device startup, and uh, we were on NASDAQ. So I kind of cool. I, I yeah. kind of get to feel how difficult it is, especially at this stage where you're, uh, yeah. you know, it still costs more to run the business than necessarily you're making, and you're trying to build a marketplace and all that. So maybe speak a little bit to that. What's that look like? That's, yeah. that's some tough work right there. It is. I would tell you that it is a labor of love and torture. And um, when I say torture, the challenge, for example, and not to, you know, be too whiny about it, is that our stock is undervalued terribly. And CNN just did a story saying one of our stock is one of the most shorted stocks out there. And so there are some dark forces that they just want to use our stock as a piggy bank, which is pretty sad. And so right now we're in a place where our stock, if we don't get above a dollar for 10 consecutive days by you know, in short order, you know, we are in a tough place with NASDAQ. And so we send out positive releases that are real, substantive about the accomplishments. I think our company has made more meaningful accomplishments and delivered more milestones than any company I can think of in any therapeutic area. And some of these players still short our stock. So I would say this, I would say that being a CEO of a publicly traded company, um, one, I think every CEO has to have a little bit of thick skin. But if you're in women's health care, oh, my goodness. Look, I will, the attacks, thank goodness my mother is not on social media. I mean, I love my mother, but she can barely turn her phone on. I'm so glad because if she saw some of the things that are said, things that are said about me. And look, I know that there's this sexist rhetoric that women get treated differently than men. It's true. They do get treated differently than men. It's not a fantasy, okay? I am, you know, not on my medication today. I mean, literally people attack me in personal ways that are far beyond the business. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with Right, exactly. If you want to criticize my business decisions, fine. Let's go for it. We can go toe-to-toe, okay? But if you want to talk about every nuance of my life because I'm a female, that's just, you know, I don't want to say inappropriate words here on your show. But it is just shocking to me to see that it continues, you know, and you just wonder to yourself, like, where do you people come from? Like, right. where's your moral compass? Why do you think that's okay? I'll give you an example. Even suggesting, so I'm a cancer survivor. And one of the interesting parts about being a cancer survivor is that our product, Fexi, is one of the only products women can use if they can never use a hormone again. Mm. Because the majority of all the other choices out there except one IUD that most women won't use because they can't control it. A doctor has to put it in and take it out. So our product, Fexi, is one of the only products that cancer survivors can use. And certainly, you don't want to have your hormones, your estrogen hormones grow if you have cancer. So I even have people saying things like, they hope I get cancer again and die. Like, can you imagine this? 
And I think to my, who are these people? Well, right. You think like, you know, I hope karma really exists, you know, but I would say also, I mean, the silver lining, um, if there is a silver lining, I mean, I think probably everybody who experiences cancer has probably changed in a meaningful way. And I was certainly changed in a meaningful way, but I also knew that I wanted my life back. You don't want to be a cancer patient forever. You want your life back. Particularly though, as women, what was fascinating is being able to talk to oncologists and talk to cancer patients to say, look, not only does this product have no hormones and you don't have to worry about any other medication you're on. You don't have to worry how much you weigh. You don't have to worry if you have diabetes. You don't have to worry about any of that, but it's also lubricating because you don't have to worry about vaginal dryness or pain with intercourse. And so as I was talking on podcasts, oncology podcasts, what was interesting is a lot of young women started writing to me saying, you know what, I've never had cancer, but I use lubrication as part of intimacy. And so we want to try your product because why would we just use a lubricant and right. take the pill? We'll just like, this is a no brainer. One we'll, stop shopping, right? One stop shopping, <laughs> right. which was pretty awesome, right? And I really liked that it was a chance to get young women reaching out saying, you know what, like I am in control of myself and I don't want my mother's contraception. So I've been really encouraged at the power that young women seem to take for themselves, which is awesome, too. Well, it's coming, right? The world's evolving. Totally. Younger generations coming in, have some desires. It's kind of uh, part of what this podcast is about, how business needs to be evolving and have more meaning and purpose for people. And, um, you know, the younger generation is asking for that. Versus, you you know, and I guess every generation, it keeps evolving. You know, my dad's like, put your head on, get a job, you know, and I'm like... Yeah, but, you know, I want a job that means something. You know what I loved in the introduction where you said science with the soul? Because not a lot of people, by the way, ever pick up on that, nor did they say it. And they think it's just words on a website, right? And you hit on something I think really important is that I am 100% a believer that the emotional attachment you have to the role you have in a company, it changes everything. It changes productivity by a margin of 100%, in my opinion. And some of the young people that work for us, they are so much smarter than I was at their age, right? And I think to myself, it gives me a lot of hope, but I also know that there is no way they would work at our company just for a paycheck. They are so much better than that. And I do talk to a lot of conservative, wise people who say stuff like, they should be grateful they have a job. They should come in nine to five and, you know, work on the weekends. And, yeah, there and you I, go. Right, and I say, right, <laughs> and I, right, you know what I say to them? And I actually joke and I say, let's be honest. How happy are you really on a scale from one to 10? You probably wouldn't be if you were being honest. So Even if you're making a bunch of money. A hundred percent, right? It's like you still have something missing, right? Your soul has some gaps in it. And so I really do believe the whole idea about, you know, really businesses can and should do better and they'll get better productivity. And so how do you facilitate that? So obviously you got a product that's very inspiring and that's great, right? And, yep. But you could have an inspiring product and still have a, I mean, I worked in a lot of medical device companies that had inspiring products that quite honestly weren't the best places to work, right? So <laughs> so how do you foster that? I mean, how do you really bring that alive? So just, yes, the product's great, but what else do you do in your organization to really enroll people and get them excited, make sure in the right spot and they're showing up at 150%? Yeah. So one of the things we've done is we have entered into an alliance with a company called Adjuvant Capital. They are about global access. So we have an, a partnership with them. It's called the Global Access Commitment, where we have agreed that we will take our product and we will go into three to five countries a year for five years. So Mexico, Nigeria, Philippines, Ghana. So we have identified countries where there is a huge unmet need, 
but also where we can actually get the product in the country, right? Because there's lots of levels and layers of corruption. But what you see is a lot of big companies. They'll send out a release so they can get a halo effect like, oh, we care about global good. But then their actions do not align with that. So we've said we need to make sure that we do better, that, you know, words are cheap and deeds are dear. And so our deeds are that we've already registered in Mexico. We've already registered in Nigeria. And we now are doing diligence to figure out what's the right way to position our product. So it will be called something different. It won't be called Fexi. So we did diligence with young women. We did diligence with doctors. We did diligence with the government to say, What kind of branding and messaging will resonate so that we can really get access to this amazing product? Because right now we're indicated to prevent pregnancy, but we just did an announcement today that we've had our last patient come out of our study that we will eventually, all things go well, prevent chlamydia and gonorrhea. Congratulations. I saw you guys are working on that. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. So how we get people attached to the company for the long term is that they see that global access matters. Less people on the planet by choice, not chance. And they know that we're serious about it. So one, there's a lot of people that really care. They're globally conscious, right? They want to know that we're doing something that's really a global footprint. The second thing that we do is that we spend a lot of time on making sure that people are connected to the company. So some things are simple, like Once a month, we do a potluck where everybody gets to come and we play games and we ask questions and we connect as a group. Birthdays, this might sound obvious, but we recognize every human's birthday. We recognize their baby. Whether they want to or not. Whether they want to or not. (laughs) And look, we say, look, we're so happy you were born and we're so happy. Oftentimes, we know this, right? We spend as much time, if not more time at work than we do with people at home. And so we want to know what matters to you. Work should obviously not be the only thing that matters to you, right? And we want to know who people spend their time with. Do they have kids? Do they have fur babies? Do they? And I always ask people if money, time, and talent were no object. If you could wake up tomorrow and be anything in the world, what would it be? Just so we know, some people say they want to be a chef or a photographer or whatever it is. And we had one guy who said he always wanted to be a talk show host. So every time we do events, we let him be the MC. He gets fed that way. I guess the point is, is that we want human beings to come to our organization and know that they are significant. The greatest human need is to feel significant. And why they should— are, They are human beings. Yes, right? right? Not, not machines. Yes. Right. So we really, I want people to know, by the way, they matter to me and I see them and what they care about, I care about and vice versa. You know, I say respect is earned. And to your point, I came from a lot of companies where I had so many bad bosses. Oh, my goodness. That's right? how we learn to be a boss, right? But <laughs> yes. I'm not going to do that if I ever get that job. Right? I agree. Uh, yeah. So I had a lot of bad bosses. Yeah. But I also knew, by the way, that all they saw me was a moneymaker, you know, and I despise them for that. I really did. And so now I'm trying to, knock on wood, do better, you know, and also not take ourselves so seriously. Oh, my goodness, right? I mean, humor and fun and laughter is like you get these serious people and you think like they just take all the air out of the room, you know? It's like. Why can't work be fun? 
Yeah. Who, Why can't who, work who be said, fun? Who said it can't be fun? It should be fun. I agree. A, I should get to do what I do well, right? Yeah. So I can be a hero and I should have fun doing it. I agree. Right? I really do. Yeah, it's true. And there's some onus on us too, right? Employees need to participate in that and not show up and go, oh, here I am. What, what, what should I do? Right? I mean. Well, you know what? Let's Self-responsibility. Learn, learn a little bit about yourself, you know, before yep. you show up. Yeah. Self-responsibility is in key. And we, you know what? We also do it. We do an assessment for people that is a tool that helps them see what really motivates them. What do they have to feed in themselves to get better results? But we also do it. What's the name of the tool? So it's called the knowledge of you, your okay. own understanding. And it's sort of a psychological assessment. And why I love it is, look, a lot of us have had, you know. Well, I'm my, an addict to these tools. Oh, I'm, oh, oh, I'm going to. Oh, me too, by the way. I'm going to send you a link. I can't help like, myself. Right? NLP, Myers-Briggs, the predictive index. I mean, I've done all of them. The reason. Five we, voices. Yeah. I, just, I just learned about that one. That's pretty cool. Oh, wait. No, no. I all right. I'll trade you. Trade me. You trade, trade me you. that. All I'll right. trade you. Yeah. So it's super cool. You're going to like it. But the reason we also do it is that the people they're reporting to and the teams that they're working with, they'll know What's the best way to interact with these people, right? Because some people, they don't care how the clock is made. They just want to know what time it is, right? And so it's better to know, like, I don't need to go in with a 10-minute monologue. I just need to say, here's what I want to do and here's why. So it just helps communication. Right. You know, know your players, right? Totally. Just know your players. That's Yeah, I agree. We will get right back to the show. But first, we have some very exciting news to share. On September 15th, the Better Business Bureau and the San Diego Business Journal are hosting the Cause Conference 2022 at the University of San Diego. The Cause Conference is all about connecting business leaders that are addressing the biggest social challenges our city faces. This annual gathering is a launch point for collaboration between our local for-profit and nonprofit organizations. It's going to be a great day of learning connecting and collaborating with peers, all focused on creating better outcomes that impact our community. I'm also very excited. We have the opportunity to do a live podcasting in the CoLab area during the conference. So come on by and say hi and maybe get on the show. So I look forward to seeing you there. And for more information, go to causesandiego.org. That's causesandiego.org or hit the link in the show notes below. Now back to the show. So a little shift here. So okay. um, you were a leader of a large nonprofit. You founded that, that, that number. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. So obviously we've learned from the public company perspective, putting your head up yep. <laughs> in the marketplace is not a friendly place to be. Yep. So on the nonprofit side, as a leader of that, I mean, what, how do you see the differences here between the for-profit, nonprofit? I mean, I think too often people make up, make like, oh, these are two different kind of things. I, I, that's not where I come from. But you've run both. So how, what do you see the significant differences being? Well, I do want your audience to know that we did not have any pre-conversation about this. I 100% agree with what you just said. Everybody wants to believe that they are two different languages, two different planets, that these two worlds can never understand each other because they just speak so differently. I vehemently disagree. I disagree, and I think that that is such a terrible excuse because, look, nonprofit leaders, they are working just as hard and just as deliberately and oftentimes with a heck of a lot less money and less resources. So I would say that, look, business is business. And as you're trying to move a mission forward, right, sometimes it's even harder because sometimes you are trying to persuade people with an idea or a concept instead of 
a product like I'm doing now, you know? And I've raised a lot of money as a CEO of a publicly traded company, but it was far harder to raise money in the nonprofit world, far harder. And it was harder because people had to take my word for it, right? It was like you had to- It wasn't like, if I give you this, you give me that, yeah. right? That black and white ROI thing, right? Yes. <laughs> and in the nonprofit world, I would say that I met more hybrid humans. And what I mean by hybrid humans is that- you know, everybody warned me because I came from pharma. I went to the nonprofit world and everybody would say stuff like, oh, my goodness, you're going to sit around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And they're so inefficient and they just don't know how to get results. And I went in and I found something very different. What I found were these people, they really did understand conscious capitalism. They really did understand more money, more mission. They really did think the end justifies the means. They recognize that. We need to get more money so that we can deliver the kinds of results that are sustainable. By the way, they know donations don't work. They know that they have to figure out a way to create a sustainable model. And a lot of them, by the way, really did that Robin Hood approach, right? People who could afford a little more paid a little more, a little less paid a little less, but free never works. I found that people in nonprofits were not only as smart as the for-profit people, but they were a lot more reasonable, a lot more reasonable. They were willing to put the shoe on the other foot and say, let me try to understand how these, you know, for-profit minds and worlds are speaking so that we can try to align. So much more effort was made with nonprofit leaders to try to align with these for-profit business leaders, but the business leaders had these preconceived objections that they didn't really take the time to investigate. And so I believe that the worlds are incredibly similar. I believe that we are trying to do this hybrid model at EvoFem, right, with this global access commitment that we have. But I really wish that we could get the minds of the for-profit business leaders to open up and really embrace the fact that they need to, and I really mean this, they need to go to cause conferences because what they need to see. This is great to you for our next second. I'm telling you, right? But no, but like being the possibility that an alignment could come that could deliver you more profit than you're expecting. It's not about doing stuff for free. All these business leaders think, well, if I do anything or I go to a conference like that or I align with them, I'm going to have to do the ones giving all the money and doing all the effort and they're just going to get all the benefit. Why would you automatically think that way? It's so negatively polarized. Why don't you open your mind up to the possibility that aligning like this could bring unbelievable philanthropic money? It could bring alliances that could bring in partnerships you've never even contemplated, by the way. Like at EvoFem, we're doing these nonprofit, you know, this work outside of the U.S. We've had five or six companies that we didn't even know existed, that didn't really know about us, that are outside of the U.S., that have contacted us about distributing our product for real money in places that's very profitable only because they saw that we were trying to make an effort, you know, to go into these marketplaces that are oh, difficult. They got to know you, right? Yes, yes. So yeah. anyway, I think- It's kind of, it's kind yeah. of interesting, right? It, it kind of goes back to the idea of conscious capitalism and the stakeholder model, right? That there's more than one stakeholder. It's not, it's not just the customer, right? The shareholder. There's the customer, there's your employees, and then there's like, oh, you got your community, you got all these other potential people that could be playing in your business in some fashion. If you can step back and go, how do we engage with these folks? So I'm engaged over here, but now they know me. So when it's time to do something, right, it's like, oh, why, why, why wouldn't I buy that product? Because well, I know the person over there. Yep. Uh -huh. I mean, just for example, I had lunch with Jake's the other day, right? Yep. Well, I know Jackie Reed, the CEO. She's been on the podcast. Awesome. 
And uh, so I said that to the person I'm having lunch with. And then we left and, and we had some little email exchange right after. And she goes, you know, that was such an awesome lunch. And even the, the valet was at work. They were amazing. Well, I know Michael Hart from Laz, right? Another conscious capitalism guy. I sent that to him this morning, right? It's like, yeah, it all connects together yes. to create this experience. And so oh, I want to go back to that place because the valets work all the same as the restaurant works. Yes. Same idea. So you have to start to think way bigger. Get out of this little bucket of our- You really do, by the way. And, you know, and I'll tell you another side note, too. One of our investors, for-profit investors, I met through looking at global impact work. Right. And we would have never met. Right. And by the way, they would have never invested because their mindset was, oh, well, maybe you we didn't realize that you actually not only care about a global footprint, but you understand how to do it. Right. It's you understand how to get the products into both urban and rural settings, you know, and so it's been a fascinating journey. And, you know, the other side note, I would say, is that sometimes I talk to people who haven't done a lot of global travel, which is fine. But. When you meet women, it doesn't matter where they are in this world, right? The largest slum in Africa, Kibera. It doesn't take women very long to explain to you that there's nothing they want more than a better life for their kids than they had. And they will do anything to get access to the right health care, anything. And it's amazing to see that there's still a lot of opportunity for business models, right, all over the world. So that's why I love that San Diego, let's be honest, I mean, San Diego now could really be sort of the center around, you know, the cause conference to that's say. It's going to be us. Yes, <laughs> I love that. I want to be the leader in this. I love it. I why, do. why do we have such a uh, distorted view? Where did that come from? Is it just the name itself of nonprofit and somehow you're not in the game? Or, I mean, you know it's, what? what? What teed us up in this really wrong direction? You know what? I love what you just said. Maybe we need to rename a nonprofit because maybe that's what it is, right? Maybe it does have some kind of a psychological subconscious negative connotation that gets people to not wrap their minds around it because. Because the other side is all about profit. That's the old model anyways. Yep. So then you say it's not about, then I guess it's nothing, right? Maybe that's. Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I would would have to say to you that that seems like a logical conclusion to me because once you peel back the onion, there's nothing lame or lazy or not results driven about it. In fact, right? So I think maybe it is. We should change it from nonprofit to something really, you know. So I'm going to say my wife runs a nonprofit in Pacific Beach and she's a way better business person than me. (laughs) She she has that right. You know, it's about. SOPs and repeatability and all those kinds of good stuff. And I'm more about the point of the spear, charge the hill. Right, yeah. thing, right? So when it comes to running a better business, by far, she's a way better business person than me. Well, and by sure. the way, I've also found too, that the analytical ability of people who run nonprofits, right? And they usually have to look at not only what is the impact, but values clarification, like all these critical things that make business sustainable, right? And that's sometimes when you're like charging the hill, like, Sometimes you don't take the time to think about that because maybe you can charge a hill and you can win that moment, but maybe it's not going to be winnable, you know, in the future. So that also, too, I have found the balance perspective. Um, My board is made up of people who are for-profit and non-profit, which has actually been a very advantageous balance. That's a good message there. Yep. Right. Yeah. The one thing I will say is that I did get scrutinized for that out of the gate. They, I was called a bleeding heart and, you know, lots of other much more intense words. But now I think people see 
the incredible value that having that diversity and perspective. Right, seeing the world in a different way. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, what's your, bad about that? Open right. up your view of the world. Here right. Just everything yeah. cookie cutter. I mean, you're just going to get the same thing, right? So so we're here talking about it, right? So there's this uh, big event that's coming up September 15th called the Cause Conference 2022. Yeah, this is about really trying to bring the business community, the for-profit, the nonprofit communities together to start to have conversations, recognize how we're, to your point, look way more similar than we're different, but how do we start to play together? How do we start to collaborate? How do we focus on things? Yeah. So your organization's involved. Why are you involved in the Cause Conference? So we're involved because we really believe that the way to innovate, the way to grow, and the way to evolve in society the way that it is, with the capital markets the way that they are, with the planet in such need, we are very staunch believers that the alignment of profit and nonprofit, that there is a hybrid model that, look, I know people coin the phrase, you know, public-private partnerships, and, you know, that seems to have, you know, I don't know how far that evolved, but we really believe that if you open your mind to the possibility that there are alliances that should exist and you take action on it, you will find additional. We've seen so much benefit from our alignment and partnerships. Now, yes, I came from that world, so I knew it firsthand, but encouraging other leaders to do the same thing. So we're there because we wanted other biotech other pharma companies, other device companies, other manufacturers to hopefully we wanted to lead by example. We wanted more companies to go that wouldn't normally think that they should be present there to go with the mindset of I need to just be completely open, no expectations, just to see what are the ways that I might be thinking of growing my business differently. And the other point is, is I want to say this is that Look, everybody talks about the big quit, and it's so hard to find the right kind of talent. Well, we're not actually finding that. And the reason we're not finding that is because we have evolved our model in a way that is about – there's two different things, right? You can say we do the right things or we do things right. Doing things right – well, you can do anything right if you follow instructions. Doing the right things is a lot harder. You're going to attract the kind of talent and the young innovative talent that you want if you start being willing to change your business model. And if you don't, you're just going to have so much attrition. People will come for a little while and they'll move on. But if you really want longevity of commitment, I really believe these kinds of partnerships are the way for the future. I mean, bottom line. So I'm hoping- a way bigger story, right? Way bigger. who we are and how can I engage in this in a different way? And Yes. yes, You know, it's so true. The other point too, is I really mean this, I found some really, look, I have some leaders that I am, you know, I admire, but they're very buttoned up and closed. Like they haven't allowed themselves to believe that they can also have a mission. I really believe that if we really dig down deep, right, a lot of us have these roles because of something, a story, a moment, a change, a shift. And it's easy to forget that or not talk about it because you think you don't bring emotion into business. That's just a wrong way to think. I mean, it's just a wrong way to think. You know, the more emotionally intelligent and present I am with our team, the more they want to help me deliver on what we're trying to do together because they know, right, that to your point, I'm not a robot, you know, and so – isn't it funny, you know, we're, we're so enamored and we spend so much money on sports and things like that, which have a lot of emotion in it, right? Yeah. 
And then somehow we go to work on Monday. It's like, oh no, here's your box playing the thing. I mean, isn't that kind of weird? Like, how do we how do we keep missing these things? It is weird right now. It is weird. It is. It's here. A, well, we figure it all out here on the Conscious Curiosity Podcast. Yes, we'll figure out all the problems for the world. Well, believe it or not, we're got to wind this thing down here. We're getting there. So I would like to ask you, what's the big thought? What's the one idea you really want people to walk away from the podcast with? I want them to walk away. I know you said one, but I I want them to walk away with two things. The first thing is that the mission of your organization, the underlying reason you exist, the why, should be communicated repeatedly, openly, scream from the rooftops, and everybody in your organization should know it to the point where they could tattoo it on their arm because that's what's going to make them deliver better results. I'm convinced of it. And, and the second Natasha's shaking her head over here. Yep, she is. She, <laughs> she is. Bought into she this. is. Yes, I love that. <laughs> and then the second thing I want to say is that women's health, women's issues, I want to say that Birth control and contraception is not just an issue for women. It's an issue for couples, and it takes two to tango. What matters is really having the ability to say to yourself that categories that have not changed or evolved are categories that will die. And we have been an organization in San Diego that has cared about innovating in women's health in a way that we have proven with this brand new product, Vexi. And the company is undervalued because people still haven't woken up to the idea that, you know what, we need to really make sure that we're evolving in every category, including contraception. So I also just care that people know that we're here in San Diego. We're very proud to be here. Um, but that, you know, we're really innovating in women's health care. Well, by the way, San Diego, you can participate. It's a publicly traded company. So if you like what you're hearing here, get out your checkbook. Thank you. Thank <laughs> right? you. Yes, thank let's, you. Let's go make it yes, happen. Yes, let's, shamelessly, EVFM is our ticker. Yes, right. thank you for let's saying raise that. raise up yeah. our own companies. That's the whole thing here. we got a whole community here. We should be raising ourselves up. This is what the Cause Conference is about. People should come to San Diego and go, oh, it's beautiful here, but there's something else going on. Man. Yeah. People are friendlier, happier. Things just move smoother. Uh, it's true. All right. Go to Jake's, get some great, right? Yes, all this, all yes. Stuff the valet's good too. Yeah. The valet's <laughs> good too. All this stuff should be working like that. So, it's right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sandra, I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today and share your merry, amazing experiences, insights, and wisdom. And I also want to thank you for all the wonderful work you're doing to help drive the, the women Thank you. Force forward here. Started obviously at a really early age and you're carrying it on. So fantastic. Thank you very much. So that's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and comment. And most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. And again, special thanks to our community of business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism San Diego, and Be Local, who are all collaborating and using the influence of business to positively impact our own community of San Diego. And don't forget... September 15th, the Cause Conference. Come on by. Let's figure out how we come together to go make a big difference in our community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, in the meantime, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, but we're all counting on you. <laughs>